There are no right answers and everything's bad. Okay. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't know what to do. There's no good answers to doing the things. Have you tried shaving your head? No, no. I thought about it though. Just thought about it, but I couldn't do that to my poor, poor mother. It, it'd be too much for her. You look I, like you I have suck. a bob right now. People can't see it. It's just like it's just like sticking out on the sides, like a bob. It's a mess. It's a mess because I'm a mess. It's 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 looking pretty crazy here. So like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So we've been we've been doing outdoor masses, and they've gone shockingly well, surprisingly well. You know, we get like two thousand people on a weekend because these outdoor masses. But we can't do outdoor masses forever. Why? Because this is Western PA, and things will get cold and snowy and rainy eventually. So mm-hmm. we have to come up with a plan to get people into the churches. Mm-hmm. But there's no good way to do this, and it's uh, it's just hard. I'm just trying to. These meetings are breaking my brain. They're breaking my brain. And I have you Go ahead. tried Ugh. driving to the middle of nowhere? And mm-hmm. building a monastery. I have thought about that. We have to build a big monastery if we're going to fit my par- my parishioners. That's what I'm concerned about. No, no, no. You don't have to worry about them. Oh, I just leave them out to dry. Just, you just, and I just no, go no. And live in the No, 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 no. They didn't give you enough priests to deal with all this. <laughs> it's not even... Okay, here's the thing. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, no, no. Uh, uh, it's not even a priest thing. So it's like, okay, we get normally like uh, maybe 3,000 people at mass uh, in normal times. Now, we probably won't get that many. Uh, and we're trying to figure out how to spread people out, how to... Because, like, here, all the options are bad, okay? Let's okay. let's do some bad options. Worst option is first come, first serve. Obviously the worst option mm-hmm. because, you know, there'll be people who show up late and we have to say, no, you can't go to church today. You were late. And first of all, you know, what, what usher is going to want to do that? Maybe some will, but most won't. And, like that's bound to create drama, right? It's bound to create drama. So it's just terrible. Now, you know, we could do stuff where we're like, we schedule people. Well, you know, a lot of people in my area, they don't use computers and stuff. And if you don't use computers and stuff, it's very hard to try mm-hmm. to schedule people for mass. You could do like a uh, like a name, uh, like, you know, if you're A through uh, E, you go to this mess in this time. And sure, yeah, okay, are that you, might work a little bit. Are you limited... How many people? You, how many people can you have inside? So it's basically ends up being twenty five percent. Okay. Uh, like we're not we're not you know limited per se, but we you know the bishop wants bishop wants to follow CDC guidelines. If you do six feet apart in our churches, that basically equals twenty five percent. So how many people can you fit at twenty five percent? And like our big church at twenty five percent, like one hundred and seventy five. Okay. Why not give everyone one mass a week? Yeah, we could try to do that. That's what we do. And, Right, right, right. But here's the other thing. I don't know if people are ready for that. Now, uh, and then you'll, because you is, will, I can tell you, you will yeah. have people who will complain that they couldn't get on the weekend mass. Why do they have to go to the weekday mass? Right, right, exactly. So there's no good you, answers. Yes. There's no good answers. Now, we, we are trying to figure out a way because we do have some other like halls and stuff. And if we can stream masses and have people watch stream masses and distribute communion to them, it kind of works. It's kind of. I think that's what we're gonna do, and we're. But it's just there are no good answers, mm. and I must, I must, I must come to peace with this. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. <laughs> I'm Father Harrison. Um, so I've learned one thing on Twitter. Yeah. What? 
uh, I should, I should never, ever, tweet complain about the heat. What? Oh no, you in Canada complaining about the heat? Oh well, my gosh, okay. it's seventy-five degrees, whatever that is in Celsius. Oh my gosh, it's like four so, twenty-two degrees. Yeah, it was only. I mean, oh, it wasn't so okay. sad. It wasn't hot outside, okay? It was not oh, hot. Okay. I'm, I need to make this clear. It was not hot outside. I recognize this, although it's going to get hot next week. Um, mm-hmm. But the rectory is on the second floor, and it, and it ha- it's a very narrow rectory. Like, it's it's long, and so the airflow absolutely is atrocious. It's just stagnant up there. It gets unusually warm. Like, it's usually, like, in terms of Fahrenheit, it's usually... 10-ish degrees more inside the rectory than it is outside. Sure, yeah. 10 to 12 sometimes. Like last night, it was 12. I was just like, ugh. All right. Um, so I was just like, this is kind of crazy. And I was like, do what? I'm going to go get some chips and salsa because it's too hot to cook. And that's why I tweeted. I was like, oh, yeah, great, great. That was a mistake. So people were angry at they you. They weren't. Well, we were all having some fun. That's it was, good. It, it was it was actually really good. funny. Except it was all let's just gang up on Father Harrison. This is good. I support this. <sighs> yeah, and so and I recognize, you know, someone like Haley Stewart was saying, you know, well, was she was tweeting about how once when she was pre- nine months pregnant, it was 114 degrees out. I'm like, yeah, no, no one can beat that. No one can beat. Yeah, that. that's probably the worst. But we also have to recognize, like, you know what, folks? Yeah, I know I'm not suffering as you are. But it's a suffering too. Let's let us instead of instead of competing in our suffering, let us all just suffer together. Beautiful. Isn't that this is the what way. if what if the real suffering was the friends we made along the way? No, that's the second podcast in a row you've made I know. that joke. I just, I just, I'm putting the kibosh just, on it right I, now. I love that. No more so much. bad Twitter jokes on the podcast. Shame actually, on you. Shame. Actually, I'm getting that from the good place. Okay, whatever. Getting from the good place. Anyways, Still shame on you. Okay, let's just, wait. Let's just suffer together. But yeah, it was hot. So I had chips and salsa last night, and it was glorious. Mm-hmm. And it was super. And 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 actually, the joking was nice and fun. Except the problem was it distracted me from reading Hegel. <laughs> What's the perfect Hegel reading weather? Go. Oh my gosh. Um, stormy. Mm-hmm. Dark. Yes. Excessively rainy. Yeah. Cold enough that you need to wear a hoodie. Mm-hmm. And that you feel like your your whole existence is for naught. That sounds like a wonderful place to be. <laughs> that would probably best be the best Hegel reading reading weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, you're, you're talking about your rectory. It makes me think of my rectory because I live on the third floor because uh, I like to look down on all the people. So that's yep. why I live on the third floor of this rectory. And my AC uh, window unit blew out. It didn't blow out. It just, the carpet by my window unit was like damp. So mm. something was wrong. So they came in and replaced it. Thank goodness. Uh, I think that old AC unit was like 60 years old. And it turns out air conditioning technology has vastly improved. Now, like, my room actually gets chilly, and it's wonderful, and it's quiet. Very good. Okay. But something happened with one of the fuse boxes, and the wiring just, it broke. And I don't know things, which is why I'm saying this, because maybe some of our listeners know things. It turns out the wiring in this old, old rectory is knob and tube wiring. Which I have no idea I what I don't know means. exactly what that means, but I believe that it means that there's no ground cable, and I believe that means 
that this computer could explode at any moment and ruin the podcast. So if you have actually, if you actually know what knob and tube wiring is, how about you tweet at us at ClericalPod and tell me if my computer is going to explode? I'd appreciate That's that advice. Speaking at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash clerically speaking. How's that for a Excellent. little promo? We <laughs> haven't mentioned our pa- I was like, I was realizing, I'm like, we haven't mentioned our Patreon for a while. We got to pay Nick and Riley. We do got to pay them. They do they do most of the work for this podcast. Exactly. Let's be exactly. honest. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but we do, we do do some work, and that's when we talk about tweets <laughs> in the Summa the Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about a We're so broken today. We're I don't, just broken. It's just one of those days, but we're, we're broken. It's gonna be good. I like it's our fine. topic for. We can do this. Um, we're going to try. Bitter exhortations. I think we got some good tweets lined up, and since since we're broken, you know, let's not even pretend to start off with something nice. Let's not pretend to start off with something fluffy. Let's start off with something terrible. This is from at GK Bester friend. He tweets, "Oh come on, period," and it is a screenshot from the Church Militant. The Vortex. And it's just a big old picture of Bishop Robert Barron, successor of the Apostles, and it says behind his head, coward. Implying, I believe, that Bishop Robert Barron is a coward. So. Right. We, at Clearly Speaking, are fans of Bishop Barron. And not like fans as in fanboy, but like he's a, I think he's a good theologian. He's one of the best teachers I've ever seen in the Episcopacy, at least in our time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's has always, uh, you know, struck me as very orthodox and caring. He has a special heart for those who have no religious affiliation. That's what he, a ministry he feels in particular called to. And one of the shocking things, I think, when you go into Catholic internet land is when you find out that apparently a lot of people do not like this guy. Yeah. And uh, it comes from, uh, I'm not quite sure where it comes from. I think part of it is... You know, if you target somebody that's popular, that's a good way to get clicks, right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I think part of it is jealousy because these other people who are doing internet Catholic things, or at least so-called internet Catholic things, um, probably aren't as successful as the Word on Fire ministry. Um, but and then some of it is because, to be perfectly honest, that they lack theological training and nuance and do not understand. Um, the one argument that Bishop Barron has uh, from Balthazar um, about basically how we should be hesitant about saying that people are in hell. And that, that's a whole other uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. But, and more recently, Bishop Barron uh, had blocked some Catholic commentators on social media. He's blocked them. And they're all flipping out about this, about how he's a coward for doing this and why isn't he engaging in conversation and the thing is I think very rarely does Bishop Barron or his account block people mm-hmm. uh, and if he's doing this to Catholics 
I've been thinking about what does that mean? Because he knows what he's doing. He's been doing social media for a while. His team is very competent. I think this is a a judgment on mm-hmm. those that he has blocked. That you have acted in such a way that conversation with you would not be fruitful and that you need to think about why a successor of the apostles blocked you. And maybe mm-hmm. you need to do some repenting. Mm-hmm. But instead of that, these people who are trying to make money off of pain in the church have just used this for content and it's terrible and they should be ignored unsubscribed to um and the problem i'm going on a bit of a rant but the problem with a lot of this viewpoint that's coming from these people is very much like that image that gk chesterton has the 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 contrast between a, a circle and a cross and the the image of the insane man that the insane man his logic is impeccable He knows he's the king of England, and he can tell you why. And he's only in an insane asylum because people have tried to overthrow him. There's no way to logic this person out of what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. The problem is the worldview is too small. It's like a circle. It's perfect. It makes sense. If you zoom in on it, it's complete. Mm -hmm. But the Catholic mind uses the image of the cross that branches out. The arms of the cross branch out and have a wider scope and a wider view. And it's just sad that they cannot see the wider view, that even if they are at times right about this thing or that thing, they can't see how they're damaging the church. Right. That's you, my rant about internet dumbness. You're so calm for a rant. I'm tired. <laughs> but uh, Where's yeah, the good. yelling? You know, it's good. It's good. I was talking to a priest friend the other day, and we were talking about some things. And he reminded me that anger should be a tool, not a weapon. To exactly. motivate you to do and seek justice, yeah. not to indulge in revelry. Um, and I'm not saying that on, on on other episodes I won't explode in, in anger for content, but uh, there you go. I'm being very calm about this. I see. All right. I'm trying not to be too angry. <laughs> Anybody who pays attention to these people with... Uh, a modic and gives them the clicks they need to do their work and which gives them money uh anyone who gives them a voice and allow you see there is a difference between um calumny mm-hmm. and there is a difference between um an honest dis- discussion and dialogue actually uh baron has a great video on this right yes yes he does uh and it was very good and i'm like i buy into whatever baron's saying here I think these sites should be placed under interdict. Uh, and well, anyone, I think... because I think, I know, I think the time for ecclesial censure has come. Mm-hmm. It is damaging the unity of the church in a far more effective way than outside forces are. Mm-hmm. It is, it is a Protestant mentality that sets themselves up to be their own authority over and against the bishops. You might disagree. I disagree with bishops say sometimes. Mm-hmm. But do I go out on Twitter and say, I can't believe what this bishop said. What a heretic. Blah, blah, blah. Because like, well, hey, most of the times bishops aren't saying anything heretical anyways. You might disagree. You might have a different theological emphasis. But out of respect for authority, you would um, you would do it in a in an honorable way. I said, I said to a, a, a deacon I was having lunch with today, I said, because he's in the military, and I said, would you, uh, if you did what some of these people do online, 
to your superiors, what would happen? He goes, I would be, I would be discharged from the army immediately. I said, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they're getting away with it because we've let them too. Like in a sense of like, right. we, ha- we haven't allowed a significant punishment to come down upon them and they deserve it. Yeah. Okay. So two things I want to address that, but also like, so when they hear that argument about, Hey, we, you need to have like respect for your Bishop and, uh, you know, arguments about obedience. The thing that they will say is, well, what about the abuse crisis? So they're Donatists. Right. So uh, we'll get to that. But I think there's something even more fundamental than a, than the heresy here. It's that, um, they are using the abuse crisis to push their own ideology. They're using the abuse crisis, which is horrible, evil thing that really has happened. And they're using it as a tool to push their own ideology. And that is straight up evil. Yep. It's evil to use this evil thing against people and and, and to make this equivalence that a bishop's theological opinion about something or um, a bishop's uh, use of particular law in the church or whatever is the same thing as abusing someone right. who's vulnerable. It's absolutely not, and they should be ashamed of that. Right. And not only that, again, these people are, the, these divisive people are Donatists. Right. And explain what the so Donatism, Donatism is. Donatism says, I mean, not I'm, as delicious I, as I, it I, sounds. Yeah. <laughs> mm, donuts. <laughs> yes. uh, and, I, and I'm stretching the use of Donatism a bit here, right? But Donatism was essentially that those who pre- renounced the faith, uh, they were. They believed that those anyone who denounced, denounced the faith, uh, the sacraments that they they had lost all sacramental powers essentially. So a bishop, if he didn't, if he didn't, if he actually renounced the faith under the persecutions and then came back into the life of the church, they would say, no, he was unfaithful. He's no his 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 baptisms were not valid, right. his confessions weren't valid, etc. But again, this is why it's Donatism though, because the, and the reason Donatism was 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 renounced as a heresy is because it's the office at work, not the person. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, what these people are attacking will say, well, this person's lost his moral authority. I'm like, maybe so, but it's he's not he's not acting out of his person. He's acting out of his office. Right. So they're actually Donatists. Yes. And Donatism's a heresy, and heresies need to be squelched in the church. Yeah, and so I you know, I I think okay, so the idea of putting them under interdict or doing some sort of canonical penalty for these people. Uh, I think Bishop Barron is aware that that is a thing, yeah. but I think he's, um, it, it's a tough situation to be in because any more attention you give these people, it gives them content. Yeah. So I think this is his way of doing that in a sense. It's cutting them off and it's, okay, you're going to go your own way then and reap what you sow and that's it. It's not giving them any more attention or any more videos or ridiculous stuff. By doing this sort of thing, so I think I mean, I think it's a question of prudence whether or not that sort of thing would be effective. And I could easily be con- be and, convinced that it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just trying to reason and through. I, I mean, I'll admit there there is a difficulty in that um, in that um, how do you you know these people live in different places and stuff like this. So how mm-hmm. do you how do you enforce that right? Right. How do you enforce that? Uh, that that's that that and that's hard to that's hard to know. So, anyways, that's enough on that. That's enough on that tweet. That's enough on that one. So, um, let's go with uh, Fiona at Semibrarian. Reminder that if you ever have the opportunity to do a catechesis of the Good Shepherd training, you should. And I love, I don't know if you've, 
Do you know what Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is? I do. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I am too. So for those who don't know what Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is, it's a formation. It's used the Montessori method, which was actually developed for catechesis initially. And uh, it uses more tactile forms of learning for younger kids because they don't learn through abstract concepts. They they learn through concrete things. And so they get to play around with different things and stuff like this. And it's a very, like I've seen it's, uh, I've seen its power in kids and I'm just like dutifully impressed. And uh, I still remember once I remember going to see visiting some friends in Seattle and they did, they did this program and I, they were, they were a Ukrainian Catholic and these kids were able to spout off, uh, all like all these different heresies from the first seven ecumenical councils mm-hmm. <laughs> in grade three. Right. Because of this. And I'm just like, huh, that's, that's really cool. And so I've just, yeah, ever so- since then, I've always been really impressed with it. And I kind of agree. And I think it can be a real future for catechesis. Yeah. And the, the gist of it is, it's basically a very kind of hands-on learning thing. So they, I think they start with the mass. And so they'll introduce like the chalice and there'll be like a little wooden chalice that the kids will like pass around, look at, talk about. And so it's a very hands-on, tactile uh, learning experience. So they focus on that. And so the next week, maybe it'll be the altar or something. And I'm not I'm not giving it, uh, um, but that, that's the gist of it. So it's just a, a different method of learning that I've seen it to be really effective. I've like yet a to see kid, a bad, I've yet to see like a bad a, implementation, implementation yeah, of like, it. Like, you know. A little third grader or something that knows what the epiclesis is. My goodness, something good is happening there. So, yeah. uh, big fan of it. It's uh, we have it in my church. Um, cool. We have a nice lady who's been nice. training people as well to so we can increase the program, and it's great. I love it. Nice. Yeah. So okay. Just, uh, this look into this, it. This tweet is from the Say Rog, and uh, she was responding to my secret Twitter, and she says, "Can you not scan it to them?" The context for this is that I am a big dum dum. I am a big dum dum priest who makes dum dum mistakes, mm-hmm. and I was do. I'm going to do a wedding later, uh, out of state, and uh, I assume that because both of these people were Catholic, that I just need to bring the paperwork to the place I'm doing the wedding. This is not true. It turns out I need to send it to my diocese, and then I, uh, they need to send it to their diocese. Okay, my bad, my fault. Oh, now, so this is in a different diocese. Right. Oh, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It was totally for everyone except me because I'm a dum-dum because I've never done a wedding out of state before. Okay. So this is all to preface say this is all my fault. That being said, I'm still going to complain. My uh, tribunal is about an hour away from me and mail in my area is kind of slow. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drive it down there. I'm going to drive an hour, drop off the paperwork, drive it back. Okay. I did that. Fine. The next day, I get a call from Tribunal saying, hey, you forgot this cover sheet form. And I was like, oh, no, that's just two hours of driving that I wasted. And this has got me to think, like, why can't we just scan this stuff and mail it to people? And I don't want to hear about blah, 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 legal stuff, use your stamp and raise paper. I just don't care about that. I just want to complain that, like, I should be able to scan stuff and email stuff. That's what I want. I want to embrace modernism. I don't want I don't want to have to drive an hour because I messed up. I don't want to face the consequences of my actions. I just want to scan marriage paperwork and mail it to the diocese and have that be okay. 
When I become Pope, this is my bid for Pope, I will make this a thing that can happen. Like, why do you need parish stamps? Let's get, like, parish barcodes or something. Nothing wrong with that. Secure and stuff. We do all kinds of banking paperwork uh, via scanned paper and stuff. I don't want to hear anybody have suggestions that I'm wrong. I don't care. This is what I want. I'm being selfish. The end. So can I share a, a similar paperwork frustration? Sure. So I, uh, someone in my parish is getting married in another diocese. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, that diocese was asking them to get um, a form of the Declaration for Freedom to Marry, which is just something saying, like, to someone's best knowledge, this person right. has not contracted a, a, a valid marriage in the church. Right. Now, this person was Catholic. Now, Father Anthony, can yes. you tell me, where would we go to look to see if a Catholic's been married or not? Uh, you go to the parish of their baptism, yep. and in their baptismal record, right. there would be a record saying that they right. were married. And this person had an up-to-date baptism certificate. Mm-hmm. It said nothing on there but a marriage. Correct. Good. So in our diocese, you don't need a freedom to marry form if they're Catholic because it's on the baptismal registry. Right. This diocese didn't care. You, even if you're Catholic, that's they don't care. You have to have it. So what do you have to do to get it? Do you have to like interview people? I had to interview someone who knew them for at least three years. But I'm like, why? This makes no <laughs> sense to me. This is this is what this is what frustrates me sometimes about uh, bureaucracy in the church. This is unnecessary. Yes. Let's streamline things. Yeah. Or yeah. Or fine. I can. I mean, like, look, look at her. Her baptism certificate literally says she's not married. So like, let's not like. And yes, let's do things. Like, I actually got rid of our scan, our fax machine when I got here. And we still get the diocese saying sometimes, can you fax this in? I'm like, no, we'll scan it and email it to you. Because we don't have a fax machine anymore. Because this is 2020, not 1995. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure the Vatican still operates by fax you, as well. And I, that's the best way to get the tickets to the Scavi tour is by fax. Right. And that fascinates me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, would you, oh, that was me, sorry. I totally spaced out for a second. Um, So uh, the next one I've got is from Seminarian CAG, Carlos, but Ordinary Time. Nothing warms my heart more than seeing grandparents teaching their grandkids how to pray in church. And I just thought this is a nice little, let, let, let's balance out the, the, uh, <laughs> the harsh tone of the first tweet and the condemnations. And let's, this is good because I don't, you know, we sometimes we complain. There's a lot of old people in the church, and there's not enough families and stuff like this. And where are the grandparents' kids and blah blah blah? I'm like, yeah, this is all true. But do what? A lot of grandparents do a lot of good because, and in a way, sometimes they can even um, be images of God's love in a way sometimes that even a parent can't be, and they impress in their children deep and fond mem- in their grandkids deep and fond memories, and. So when a grand when a when a grandparent is um, is being is educating their is, is bringing their ki- these grandkids up into the church and teaching them how to pray and showing them what they need to do, it is a beautiful thing to see, and I just love it. And I think he's right. I think it's and I think we need to do a better job of appreciating the elderly in the church because of stuff like this. They do a great job at this. I love seeing it because like I know for myself. I didn't go to church growing up at all. Right. Except for with my grandparents. And I still have memories of yeah. those times. And those have been like etched into my brain. And I know that they they helped 
in some small way, they help foster my vocation because of that. And I just think that, you know, so we just, let's, let's just, let's just, grandparents, if you're listening, if, if you listen, thank you for what you do for your grandkids. Absolutely. And even if the parents are super Catholic, you know, having grandparents as well who are doing this, like that's, that really enforces, uh, reinforces what's going on already in the home. Uh, and that's good. This yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. Amen. Cool. All right. It's time for presbyteral exhortation. Noise. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn. Oh, oh, it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. So I have these. Uh, these smelling salts, and I keep them in my rectory in case, like, if I get a call in the middle of the night, I need to wake up right away. I can crack one of these bad boys open, and wait, I'll do it. I'll do it for the microphone. I can crack one of these guys open, and then like, ah, and it really does wake you up. And that's what I'm trying to do, because we're gonna talk about something important and serious and near and dear to my heart, and I want to be wide awake for it. Okay, Father Harrison, we're gonna talk about seminary a little bit. Ooh. Right, and I know there's a lot of seminarians who listen to our podcast. Yep. I think there's also some priest formators who listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the reason. Another part of the reason, at least the aspect I want to talk about, is that I still think that there are a lot of problems with power structures in the church. Okay. I'm not talking about the hierarchy per se. I'm not trying to tear down the hierarchy. The hierarchy is good, and I am for it. And I, you know, I made promises saying that I am for it, and I absolutely... But how that is exercised sometimes, I think, is doing great damage to the church. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the talking about, you know, the, really the underlying problem, the abuse scandal, wasn't just the sexual abuse, which is horrible and horrifying. Uh, I think the, the deeper issue underneath that is the abuse of power. And I think that's what we especially saw when the PA grand jury report came out, McCarrick stuff, that this, there's an extreme abuse of power. Mm-hmm. But that sort of thing doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a culture that allows it. And I think there's other aspects with this culture of abuse of power is still present in parishes, uh, in seminaries, in, um, you know, uh, downtown at, uh, in dioceses. Mm -hmm. Um, And in, like I said, so I'm drawing from my experience, not every place exactly the same. Um, my experience in major seminary overall was very good and very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm talking about some stories from my time in minor seminary that were not. And okay. want to use this as a jumping off point. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. Let's do it. Father Harrison, why would somebody join the seminary? Why would someone join the semer- seminary in the year 2020? Why would any man, young or old, want to do that thing? Because they love Jesus Christ and his church and want to serve him wholeheartedly with their whole life. Yes! That's exactly right. Okay, good. And it's a shame that we forget that. And this is this is me getting really angry about stuff because that's the truth. And now sometimes those motivations, they need purified. You know, a lot of us when we're young or we're just getting to the faith, there's a part of us that wants to be, you know, the savior of the church, whatever. But behind that, that needs to be formed, sure. Behind that, at the heart of it, no matter what kind of guy is joining seminary, 99% of them are doing it because they love God, they love his church, they want to serve, they want to help, they want to be on the front lines. 
Right. And we can never forget that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've, I think we've even joked on the podcast before. What's, what's the informal hierarchy of the church? What's at the very top would be like the Pope mm-hmm. and bishops. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, under that, you've got, you know, priests. Then you have the laity. And what's underneath the laity? Seminarians. Seminarians. I the lowest joking about of the this. totem pole. At the lowest. And the reason why for that is because, you know, uh, when you enter seminary, you're most likely doing this with a desire to be a priest. Yes, right. you're, you're still discerning. But it's the thing you want the most is to be a priest. Yeah. You know, that eventually happens in your time in seminary. Yeah. And you are um, not, in some senses, you are powerless to affect this yourself. You know, in one sense, yes, if you embrace formation wholeheartedly, um, that you are able to listen to critique, that you, you know, keep trying to re- to pray and to be receptive to what God is telling you in prayer and through your formators. In that sense, you're not powerless. You can do a lot, right? Right. right. But in another sense, you know, it's your formators that give the okay to the bishop who ordains you. Right. Okay. So what happens if you have a formator that doesn't necessarily respect your motivations or understand them or believe them? There's a sense in which your vocation is always just hanging by a thread. Whether it's true or not, you know, whether this is uh, just something that's perceived or something that's, you know, real, it, it is very often perceived. Uh, and so, if that's hanging by a thread at all times, there can be a fear to speak honestly. Mm-hmm. There can be a fear to talk about your struggles. Mm-hmm. There can be a fear to speak up when you feel like you're being unfairly treated. True or false? Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. There's a fear. And I... I mean, I guess we'll get into this, right? Right. Already what's going into my head is, you know, but can the power dynamic be completely overwrought? By? Like, can we get rid of it? And I'm like, I don't know if he can. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, so yeah, here's, sorry, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah. I think, uh, or jump. okay, that's good, sorry, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Let's not jump ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's also important to remember that there are all kinds of guys who join seminary. Like when I was joined, there were guys who had been homeschooled their entire lives, mm-hmm. guys who had a radical conversion some years later, who were running bars and nightclubs. Now they want to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, you know, average suburban people like me who, you know, kind of had a reversion in the sense of it. You have all kinds. And you never know which guy is going to be ordained one day. Mm-hmm. There's just no knowing. And that's really, it shows that um, God chooses who he chooses. And he brings a lot of people to seminary who he doesn't necessarily want to be priests, but wants them to be formed and learn more about themselves and to give them an answer so that they're free to uh, pursue marriage or religious life. Okay, so you get all kinds. Okay, that's important to remember as well. Okay, so I remember we had a new formator in seminary. This is why I'm in minor seminary. And everyone was excited. Great guy. And he is a great guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was preaching a lot about how much he missed the people of God. And by that, he meant, you know, the, the laity, the people in his parish. And at first it was like, yeah, of course, that's awesome. He's a priest who wants to be a pastor. That's the kind of guy we want in the seminary to help us out. But then he would, you know, mention it again and again, but how he just missed the people of God. How he missed the people of God. How he missed the people of God. 
And at one point in time, I was like, okay, well, then who the hell are we? Who are we? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was something that was going on. Uh, another story. So there's a big old basketball tournament that happens at um, the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. Basically, all these seminaries get together, and they have a basketball tournament, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, we had not been able to do this because our seminary was so small. I think at the biggest we had, uh, my time was like maybe 19 guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a... You and know, not a lot of guys well, in seminaries are sports guys. But some are. Some are. And we had, we had one. Yeah. We had a guy who played basketball in college, mm-hmm. and he was our ringer. So we were able to form a team. We had like two subs... And that was it. And so we we got permission to do this, and we drove off, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. Yeah. We lost r- right away the first game, and we played all the way, but we won all the way to losers back bracket, and we were in the championship. But by that point in time, we were all just dead, and we lost. Right. But the thing is, like, sometimes in seminary, you don't get a lot of chances to work out your aggression. And so for us, that's what basketball was. Right. So a lot of times, the games could get pretty heated, right? Yeah. And so there could be some bad blood. But I remember so distinctly at the end of that game, and we got destroyed, um, we all got together and we sang the Salve Regina. Mm -hmm. And after that, we had a big party. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool to see all these guys who were doing the same thing I was. uh, And they were from different places, uh, from all across, you know, the country and at these different seminaries and the feeling of brotherhood and the fact that the guy who you hated because he threw an, threw an elbow at your face during the basketball game, he was actually a really good dude who wants to be a good priest. Mm-hmm. Like this experience was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next year, the tournament's coming up and we had assumed that we would get permission to do this as well, right? And so uh, a lot of times our uh, pastoral formation was done on the weekends. So on Saturday or whatever, we would go to the soup kitchen or the hospital and we told our advisors at this site that we won't be available this weekend. So we were thought we were being responsible, and we did that. And then the, the formator, who was in charge of pastoral formation at that place, finds out about this and just blows up on us. And this person brought us in one by one to ask us why we didn't care about pastoral formation, why we didn't care about serving. And this all blew us away because we thought we were being responsible. We did this last year. We informed our people that we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And instead, we all just got high-roaded by this person. Hmm. And I remember specifically, um, at that time, I was an English major, and I was writing some poetry and stuff. And the college had uh, published one of, my, one of my poems, and the formator thought this was good. So this formator asked me to write a poem about my experience at this basketball tournament and if I did that, then I could go. What? Exactly. That's so weird. And it was a total power play. And like not being able to see how good this formation was, this experience of brotherhood was. And it's not like we're, we're blowing off all of our pastoral formation in our mm-hmm. apostolic works. This is one weekend and we did it last year, right? Mm-hmm. But this person had to put this person's power over us in that moment. Right. Okay. One more story. Okay. It was Spy Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what Spy Wednesday is, Harrison? It's the day, it's the day of Judas's betrayal in Holy Week. Yeah, and so it's not something like we celebrate. It's kind of like a traditional thing because yeah. you know, that's when Judas went to go talk to the Pharisees. So he's acting like a spy, and it's called Spy Wednesday, which is just the coolest name for a day. 
right? This is good Catholic stuff. Okay. We were all brought into the chapel for a meeting. And in that chapel, uh, one of the four mayors, I'm trying to be as general as I possibly can, but one of the four mayors uh, totally reamed us out, saying that, you know, there were water bottles left in the gym. And why would we do that? Do we not respect the uh, maintenance men? Do we treat them like slaves? Is that how you see them? Do you see them as slaves? We had an optional holy hour at five o'clock in the morning. Now, a lot of guys didn't go to the optional holy hour at five o'clock in the morning. And because we were told it was optional. And some guys do their holy hours and later. And it's I do five o'clock in the morning. And it's five o'clock in the morning. And so we were yelled at, like, do we not love the Blessed Sacrament? Apparently, too many of us were yawning at mass. And this formator accused us of sacrilege. His words, not mine, because we're not being attentive to the mass. Sacrilege. Um, other dumb stuff. Now, like one guy apparently had clipped his toenails in one of the common room and just left it there. Okay, that was dumb. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> right. But like we were totally just berated in the chapel. And the chapel's not a meeting room. It's a chapel. It's a sacred place. So there's not an opportunity to respond to this, right? That's why it's set up this way. And after all this of accusing us of all these things, it was basically, okay, have a good holy week and we'll see you later. Now, I'm not saying this sort of stuff happened all the time to me, but it happened enough, right? Mm -hmm. And like if you're, uh, you know, an 18, 19-year-old guy like me or even an older guy, uh, like I didn't know what seminary formation was supposed to be. This was just my reality, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so why am I bringing all this up? I'm trying to figure out why that sort of thing happened. Now, obviously, because of whatever heck's going on with, with these people personally. But there's this weird thing. And like even like I was talking to another seminarian who had, um, you know, has a pastoral assignment for the year at a parish. And one of the people tried to make this person, you know, do something. And so you're a seminarian, you have to do whatever I say. Man, what's going on? And I think this is when we start talking about the different power dynamics going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to talk a little bit about clericalism. That there is a kind of like we can never, it, still in parishes, there's a thing where, where like you can never really be angry or criticize a priest mm -hmm. because the priest is holy. The priest is above all this. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times there's reason to be angry at your priest, right? Mm -hmm. We screw up, some priests are bad, all this sort of thing. But sometimes we don't know how to deal with that. So either we go off the deep end and start slandering the priest and gossiping about him, mm -hmm. or we keep it like bottled up inside. But a seminarian doesn't have that kind of power. Right. So I think sometimes we're taking out our anger on these seminarians. And a lot of times it, that's what it felt like. Like I so said, this is just my experience, but this a lot of the formation was directed not toward making you a good priest, but to keep you from being a bad priest. Mm-hmm. And that's not a healthy way to go about things. No. Okay. So I've been monologuing for a bit. Do you have thoughts? No, only because, I mean, I don't know why. I have really good seminary formation. Right. This wasn't an issue. 
my yeah. seminary ever. Now, granted, I didn't go to minor seminary. I just went to major. But still, like, I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, this was, this, I, this is what I, th- you see, this is why I think, I don't think it's clericalism. I think it's an Americanism. Mm. Okay, go on, go on about that. Well, just in the sense, like, this is, this is very normal bureaucratic business patterns of leadership. I'm the one in charge and you're going to shut up and obey. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, think of like the hard pressed business executive who's uh, trying to get things done and they're a jerk as they try to get things done along the way. And, mm-hmm. oh, wait, you're not, you're not meeting my expectations. And they just presume the worst because, well, you're just lower on the totem pole. So you don't really have an opinion or anything like that. Right? Yeah. And I just, I've not, like every time you guys talk or I hear you or I hear other priests in the States talk about the hierarchical life of the church, it boggles my mind because it mm-hmm. is not my experience one iota in Canada. This is good. I'm glad it's not your experience. Really, and like I said, yeah. I, so that's why it's like it's hard know, for me to speak to this because yeah. I'm like, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, we all go through frustrations in seminary, but like, sure. like I remember once I was kind of not happy with a decision the seminary made about some social stuff, but I was like, do what? This is for the unity of the seminary. And it and he didn't do it in like a jerkish way or anything like that. And right. I'm not happy with it, but I accept it. Right. And and I'll give him credit. Like they I had a space to speak my pieces with with the rector too. And say this is mm-hmm. why I don't this is why I disagree with this. Right. And like so our formation team was always really good about having like an open door policy about if we have things to talk to them about it. And yeah. so it's like because like what you're what you're talking about in the seminary is what I've heard just in little things you and others have said. And what I've heard from about the Episcopal life in the church, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. the exact same thing. And I'm like, this is weird. Is <laughs> like, weird. So I, I'm always like, I, like I almost, it's not that I'm tuning out, but I'm just like, I don't know what to say because this is not my experience. The problem becomes, I, if I can, like there's a, there's a corollary though in Canada is that, People are so used to this way, to our way of leadership that when a priest actually has to make a decision for the good of the unity of the parish or whatever like that, people yeah. flip out because they didn't get their way or anything like that, and that, and then they start, you know, the calumny and stuff. Because like that. normally they do get their way. Well, not no, not always, but it's just like there isn't there isn't this sense that the priest can just in the end make it like after he's consulted properly, and he should right in in cases with big decisions. Yeah. Um, they're just not used like they're used to a bit more of a democratic process sometimes and so yeah. that's not healthy either sometimes because in the end the priest has gone through a crud load of schooling and experience to be able to make these decisions sure right and so he's probably thinking about a lot of other things that some people just haven't thought about yet yeah so yeah so it's just yeah, weird to yeah. me yeah and it's a priest's duty to explain his thinking yeah, and all as best that can, as best and like can. I said and sometimes sometimes you know I know that there are guys who have way worse stories than me and i'm not talking about right. sexual stuff i'm talking about weird abuses of power These yeah guys no, have way worse heard, stories again, than me it's all in the States. and guys who have you know wasn't their experience yeah. you know um so it, it is across the board but i think it's it's on there enough and even like how about this like common experience of uh it's time for a end of the year evaluation and this would happen so many times that you'd be on one end of the table and all the formators would be on the other end of the table and it was like nobody was on your side. You guys, the, and, the whole formation team was with you? Uh, yes, that's how we did ours. Oh, we just was with the rector. 
Okay, so this is so yeah, this is a different sort of thing, right? Um, and, it, and I don't actually, uh, I'm not opposed to having the whole formation team there and talking about yeah. stuff, but it'd be so often that stuff would be brought up that was never told to you while you were doing stuff during the year. Yeah, it was all saved up and unleashed on you. Interesting. And the other thing that would bother me about it is that no one was on your side. Now, like when I got to to major seminary, I had learned through a lot of experience how to stand up for myself how to be confrontational in a productive way. And there were times, like, ouch, I had a lot of disagreements with my rector, and there were times where <laughs> I got in trouble. But I, I always felt confident that I could go to his office and we could talk it out, mm-hmm. and we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I very much respected him, because like when we both sat down, we could talk it out, and it was good, it was healthy. you know. Uh, but I had to learn how to do that the hard way. Uh, and that's, that's a tough thing, too, because you have this dynamic where it's like, okay, I, I really wanna be a priest. And I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot to be a priest. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I should sacrifice my inner dignity to be a priest. Mm-hmm. If this person isn't going to respect me as a human being, as a man, this person is going to respect me as a Christian, if this person is not going to respect me as even as malformed as they may be, I wanted to enter seminary to love and serve God and his people, then I have to stand up for myself in that way. And... Like, it never came down to something that strong for me. But for some guys, I think it does. And I think it's a very difficult crossroads to be at. So, yeah, you see, it's interesting because, like, now that you've kind of shared this, Uh because, like, I'm like, well, yeah, of course there's going to be power dynamics because someone has authority over you, right? Right, sure. So, and I grant that. I'm like, yeah. So that's why I'm like, I don't think you can ever get rid of that because there's, this is the thing. I, I, you know, some people are like, we need to get rid of, power structures and I'm like no that doesn't no society has ever functioned in a perfectly equal way where everyone is on an equal level with each other no, it's not you can't. it is not how like it's funny because I can you know how a lot of people complain about the hierarchical structure of the church I'm like well the reason the church is hierarchically structured is because this is how humans naturally organize mm-hmm. and so God is kind of recognizes our how we work, how we organize as human beings and is kind of affirming that, right? So we can't get rid of the, you can't get rid of that. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what we ought to be rooted out is that like your, like, and like, and honestly, the way power was exercised in my seminary I was fine with it. I yeah. was totally fine with it. I really had no issues. I mean, you know, I mean, like there's always going to be small things, but like I never came up against serious stuff in the seminary. Um, but what you're talking about, be like, yeah, that needs to go, and that needs to go fast. Right. So I think this is why it dovetails really well with what you talked about last episode mm-hmm. about that detachment, right? To be detached in order to love more properly, right? I think what sometimes happens in seminary communities, especially small ones, but it can happen in big ones as well. It happened in kind of mundane ways in my bigger seminary, like not lot like traumatizing ways, like it happened in my minor seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can kind of get into a seminary bubble where like every little thing about the community becomes a big deal you know uh, little rumors can get spread or um, things get blown out of proportion because you're stuck in this little bubble basically referring to last episode you're real zoomed in on the portrait right instead of taking a step back and realizing okay who is the formator the formator is Jesus Christ Mm mm-hmm and that's why I was able to turn out into the lovely priest I am today. Because even in those terrible times, like, and I had like really deep experiences of it, that Christ was still forming me. 
sometimes in spite of what was going on in the seminary. Later on, uh, it felt like the Holy Spirit and the seminary faculty were, were working real well together. And that was, that was better, right? But I think we need to have a kind of a holy detachment and reverence for, for the seminarian. Uh, that this is whatever God's going to do with the seminarian, whether mm-hmm. bring him to priesthood or to something else, that's God's business, mm-hmm. right? And I think we need to take more of a, a direction that's like spiritual direction. Now, in the seminary, you have two kinds of uh, formation, internal formation, which that's spiritual direction. So the spiritual director uh, does not report to anyone else. Um, it's kind of, it's almost like the seal of confession, not technically as strong, but most internal formators I know, they treat it the same way, mm-hmm. right? And external formation, why? Because the church has the right to know who you are. So you kind of do the same things that you would do in spiritual direction, but in a different way, in a more open way, right? But I think you need to have the same attitude as a spiritual director. And I believe the attitude of the spiritual director is I'm helping this person listen to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, so that the formator is a is a guide. Right. Right. And sometimes you do need to, you know, like uh, once you build up a relationship and build up trust, sometimes you have to have really difficult conversations. You have to be more forceful. But that needs to be done from a place of love and respect, not out of fear for your own job or fear of what the rector is going to say or fear of your reputation in the community or, you know, fear that if I don't form this person well, they're going to ruin the church. I think a lot of this stems out of uh, fear. And that's why I saw like the greatest abuses of power came because someone did not know how to hold their power. That um, they were afraid that their authority was going to be tested by the seminarians, which always blew my mind. Right. Because so most... Okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, and I, I'm speaking this partially just from pastoral, like a, as a position in pastoral leadership now, right? Where yeah. I think everyone's going to have fear in leadership. There's the fear of... And it's not, and I don't mean this fear in like a negative sense. I actually, I think it's yeah. healthy um, in the sense of that I make the right decisions. That I ponder all the variables, right? That I do the right thing. And it kind of keeps you in check. But you don't make decisions out of fear. You lean on trusted friends and advisors in your fear. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm unsure, or this is a big decision. Is this the right? And that's where cons- consultation comes in, right? So yeah. instead of like a rector coming in, like tearing down a bunch of seminarians, for, mm-hmm. for water bottles or whatever like that. <laughs> yeah. um, instead of that, saying, hey, he talks to his formation team, hey guys, like, or maybe even talking, I would say in that case, to the senior to the senior seminarians. Sure, yeah. Like our seminary was really good in that they really, they really, like if you were a senior theologian, mm-hmm. it was your duty, like it was like your expected duty to almost share in the role of formation with the younger guys teach them the ways of the seminary, the habits of mind, to correct, to do fraternal correction what was necessary so that the seminary, the, the formation team didn't have to do that, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do that. Um, and it's, and I think that's a much healthy, and then you're sharing in the leadership, right? I think, so when that fear is coming along, hey, I'm going to talk to the older seminarians. Guys, like, do you think maybe this is something you can encourage the guys into? And this is the other thing, because seminarians tend to listen more to brother seminarians than they will to a formation team. This is true. Right? So much formation happened with us just BSing yeah. or checking ourselves or like, yeah, like, hey, you were a total jerk in class. Why'd you do that? Or something, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah, you're angry at this formator, but actually what he said had some merit. Like, that happened all the time, especially in major seminary. 
Yeah. So that's what I was just saying. Like, I think that's that's that is a like, and it's the same thing like in, in like a parish, right? Mm-hmm. If a priest just comes down and just says this is the way things are all the time without any consultation ever, right? Yeah, he's a totalitarian. He's acting out of fear of losing his authority over the people. Now you have to do that sometimes. You have to make a judgment for the good of the parish, where you don't maybe have time or whatever to, to listen right. to everyone. But you consult. You're always listening. Like, I'll be honest. Like this is why I, I've always struggled using pastoral counsel, because mm-hmm. the role, as we know in canon law, the role of pastoral counsel is to advise the pastor. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm always asking people in the parish what they think of different things, so I'm always listening. So like the whole parish is my parish council. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, it's and, different for like a parish like yours and a parish like mine. Right. Because sometimes there's a size difference. Right, that, right? That, that's true. But I guess, I guess, so, but like, so with seminary, then it's like, you just listen to the guys. And instead of coming down, it's like, go talk to the older seminarians and ask them what they think instead of just reining everyone in. Or you in. know what? Also, just talk to the guy. Yeah. Because sometimes you've made these presumptions. Instead of saying, like, why are you being such a jerk? Be like, hey, what's going on here? It seems like this aspect of formation has been difficult for you. Um, right. Why is that? Or do you need help with something? Or how can I better communicate things to you? Right. Like having open and honest conversations like that, that's how you earn trust. Yeah. yeah. And and like, and deep down, we actually, you know, seminarians actually want to trust their formators, yeah. right? Because we all go into seminary knowing that like, we know we got some stuff wrong with us, yeah. right? We want to be good priests. Um, but also that, that trust and that relationship needs to be built, built up. No, exactly. So I think... And so like I yeah. said, like, yeah, I ahead. want... Okay, just yeah. a few more things as we wrap up. Now you can see that if that experience of mine was a typical experience for a seminarian, if that was his experience throughout all of formation, that's going to make a messed up priest. Mm-hmm. You know, a priest that is, it's constantly been like a carrot that you never get, but you only get, you only get the stick. You only get the mahogany bat that's been beating you this entire time. Man, that's going to make you a very dangerous priest in a negative sense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, like, the opposite can be true as well. Like, if you know, there's consultation, there's respect, there's the formerly using their power for good, uh, for helping and guiding the seminarian, if that's his experience, my goodness. You know, that's, that's training a priest to be a real leader and how to use power how it's meant to be. Because mm-hmm. God gives us power in order that we can serve others. Mm-hmm. That's what it's for. It's for love, you know. Exactly. Um, like if you if you go to the gym all the time, but you don't help people lift heavy things when they need like to move, then you're not using your power well. Right. Uh, it's always for service. It's for something else. Um, and so, I guess part of the reason why I bring this up is I think you know, uh, like I said, it's going to be different in every seminary in every situation. But I don't think it's so uncommon that it's not worth bringing up. And, you know, that's something that I would have wanted to hear about when right. I was in minor seminary. Right. Because you can be like, I guess this is normal. Yeah. I guess this is the church. And it's not. It's unhealthy. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, and I think the the goal is not to, because <clears throat> you can easily submarine when this happens, that you just keep your head low. You never share yourself with, the, with uh, you know, your interior life with the faculty and that sort of thing. There may be times and brief periods where that's actually the prudent thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you have to do that in your entire seminary career, that's not going to be healthy. That's right. not going to be good. Right. And it turns out that you actually do have power. You actually do have agency. You do have the power to stand up for yourself. And rights. 
and and rights if you really want you know but well no but it's like, a fear. like I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I mean like just in like like there's a reason the law of the church exists but yeah okay but who are you gonna go to like if you're if you're a seminarian and you're being unjustly treated are you gonna go to the bishop who's the bishop gonna believe are you gonna go hire your own canon lawyer I know to like no, deal with your diocese I know it's like this is this is the real power imbalance and that's and that's right? always going to exist and so I think it's the duty of the seminarian to be able to stand up for himself and ultimately trust that God's in control of his vocation. And that's a big ask. It's yeah. a big ask. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's really, you need to have priests and other laity in formation that are themselves well-formed, mm -hmm. that have a heart that's like the heart of Jesus Christ, that wants to honor and reverence the vocation of the other that doesn't see their job as gatekeeper, but as shepherd and guide to help the, the seminarians see, okay, this is my vocation or this is not my vocation. Mm -hmm. And my one worry is that if you're in an abusive system, it can, it can beat you down and wear you down. And even if you go through the system and become a priest, it will be such a shame that if you're in a position of power, you're so beaten down that you can't engage in reform. Mm -hmm. And I think the way to combat that and the way I've found to combat that in my own life is being before the Blessed Sacrament every morning. Yeah. Or if it's for somebody every night or whatever, every day. Yeah. Uh, to remember that Christ is your primary formator. He's the one that will guide you, give you the words, help you to take care of yourself and others. Uh, and so even if your seminary experience is really bad, Christ can still work through it. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Cool. Well. That's... That's it. I gotta go get a haircut. Speaking. You gotta go get a haircut. What's a haircut? You should try it someday. And maybe. But uh, until then, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me not getting a haircut. Uh, you can find me at Fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon so we can keep paying Nick and Riley to do all the work for this podcast. Peace. God bless.